0: asia tech podcast voice of the asian tech ecosystem hello and welcome to asia tech podcast the pitch we're launching the pitch graham brown and happy to say in the studio joined by stuart kerr hi Stu, there Hey, how how's it going excellent i'm really pleased that you are the inaugural pitch guest because you've been mm-hmm. so generous not only with your time because this is not the first recording. We did a short that one didn't we? but we thought we kind of like the we've got to do, we've got to go a bit deeper.
1: It's yeah, fifteen yeah, I minutes was just cut right. a little bit too short, and I'm thinking oh, yeah. it would be good to do something more. But.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and um, I think you know we did this first. So, so Stuart's going to tell you about his company in a minute. And the point of the pitch is bringing interesting startups to this platform and sharing their stories, and not just you know this is what we do, but the why. And also, who's behind it, right? And I think we did the first recording and it was 15 minutes. And I I just sort of walked away from that and thought, crap, you know, there's so much more we can do here. Uh There's so much more. I mean, your product's really interesting. Your background's so interesting. I talk to you, I sort of talk about you to other people and they're interested. (laughs) Yeah because I, cool. I, I'm out there pimping your business to other people <laughs> with no, no business relationship whatsoever but you know uh, the listeners going to hear a bit about what you do and your sure. background as well they'll be interested so I think 15 minutes just was not enough and mm-hmm. we're in the business of podcasting makes sense that we go long form right
1: yeah because we've got the ability to do so right I mean we're not on radio we don't but, have any restricted time it could be hours in length it doesn't matter
0: yeah and we're not selling advertising, so no. we're not gonna jump in at any point. No. So we've got to, we're gonna have a chat about I think, you know, the point of the pitch is this, is that um, you know, there are plenty of formats out there to find out about startups. You can go to a demo day, you can mm-hmm. go on to, you know, any of the, the websites, or you can go and find out about, you know, F6S or whatever. You know, you can find yep. all those kind of websites out there, but there's nothing about the founders and the why question, right?
1: Yeah. I do find it because I've built up the profiles on uh, F6S uh, AngelList as well I find it kind of difficult to put myself across if Mm -hmm. I could just talk to somebody What do you you mean by you find it difficult to put yourself across? and usually there's a founder section and then you can type it, like maximum 600 characters uh, date, about right. me. And it's like, oh, right. oh really, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> like, right. I just wish I could talk to somebody or let somebody heat, like almost eavesdrop in, in a conversation yeah. yeah. and then just put that out there. So, right. Yeah. You need somebody to, to bring those questions out, to bring the answers yeah.
0: out of you, right? Exactly. So that's why we're here.
1: Yeah. That's what we're going to talk about.
0: Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP.show. So where are we going to start? Should we start with what it is that you build first? Yeah
1: and why? Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I suppose I could start with the story about how we existed in the first place and right. I can give it some context. Right. So um, let's
0: start with the company first. Let's yes. The company.
1: So, so we, we are Rock Human Devices. Mm. We are building really tough, really well-designed medical devices. We're based in Singapore mm. and we're starting with hearing loss. Now, hearing loss is a really underserved market. Um, you can just imagine uh, how... I mean, I mean, if you were to be told by an audiologist that hey, you've got hearing loss, you mm. need to wear a hearing aid from now on, mm. you can imagine the, you know, you can imagine your response. It mm. would be like, oh man, I really need to wear a hearing aid. I don't right. want to wear that. It's not so well designed. Mm. Um, the the performance is usually quite low as well and super expensive. Mm. Some people get charged, like in Singapore, you could be 3000 to $12,000 for a hearing aid. Wow. Super expensive. Right. And there's a very underserved part of the hearing aid market. Um, 20% or I think it's as much as 25% of people that have hearing loss Mm. have a special type called conductive hearing loss. Mm. And what that is, is it's different to a normal type of hearing loss. Um, You cannot wear a normal hearing aid. You have to uh, either get reconstructive surgery in order to fix it. So basically uh, what I mean by conductive hearing loss is this everything inside the ear is working totally fine but imagine if there was some blockage in the ear like for example some of our patients they don't have any hole in the right side of their ear so where you would usually see a ear canal they were just born with it closed shut so no sound can get in, so you can... So the the nerves are okay? Everything in the inside is usually working absolutely fine. There's a problem with the conduction point where sound goes from the air to being vibrated. So you can imagine that spiral image of the cochlea and all the little hairs get tickled and then that stimulates the auditory nerve. all that is working fine. It's just the sound cannot get to it. Right. So that's what conductive hearing loss is. So if you put in earplugs, you're simulating conductive hearing loss. Gotcha.
0: So you're saying that 25%
1: of hearing loss patients are conductive? Yes. Right. So, um, or some kind of, uh, either conductive or some kind of mixture of the two. So that whole bracket's about 25%. Mm. And the only real good solution available right now, apart from us, is to get a screw drilled into the, oh, the side of your skull behind the ear. <laughs> yeah. And serious. Yes. And you wait maybe six months for that to heal. Right. And then it, you also need to get bone, fat, and tissue removed as well oh, to make God. it nice and flat. And then you get this little box. It's, <clears throat> it's called a bone conduction, but it's called a bone anchor hearing aid. And then oh, you clip okay. that onto the screw. So you have this matchbox that sticks out the side of your head. Screwed to your head. Actually screwed in that like you can like remove it and and uh, like put it back on, but the screw is there permanently sticking outside the skin. Wow. It gets infected, you yeah, need to shower, you need to keep yeah. it shaved properly, you need to and you get go your barb... you through the airport beeper, right? Yeah, exactly. It's going to go off. Yeah, or just go into the barbers. You've got to not oh, clip God. it, cut it, and it could bleed. Right. It's like, oh. Right. So, I think the statistics are 99.8% of people have never seriously considered that option and yeah. are choosing to go through the rest of their life with no hearing, right. with complete hearing loss. Yeah. So they're just choosing like, screw it, like, I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, every one of our trial users have, who have that hearing loss have basically said that um, the device that we've developed has been the first thing that's given their hope back after previously giving up all hope wow. of finding a solution to their hearing loss. So what we actually do is we have integrated the bone conduction technology mm. into a pair of glasses or into a range of eyewear. Uh-huh. So the performance is super high, is very ruggedly built. Mm. Uh, and it's instant on As soon as you put it on mm-hmm. So rather than getting surgery Waiting six months Paying probably $15,000 For that solution yeah. You can pay maximum $2,000 US And then uh, it will come in a uh, Like a beautifully designed box And you take it out You put it on And as soon as you put it on The device recognises That it's been put on And it turns itself on Our trial users have described it as for the first time in twenty-eight years that they've had an earplug pulled out of their ear as soon as they put this on. It's like, um, yeah, some of them have been reduced to tears. I imagine, yeah, yeah, but both men and women. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and I think as well is that it's you're sort of dealing with an issue which is. Like you say, with hearing aids, they don't look good. There's there's yeah. a real stigma attached to them. There is, especially what if you're young and you have yeah. conductive hearing loss as well. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, to wear a hearing aid it must be. You know, it's not like wearing a pair of glasses, right? Because you can be cool, a exactly. Pair of glasses, but a yeah. hearing aid is like you know, mm-hmm. just, you look old or you look like your granddad. Yeah, you, you know, I mean, like you remember like back in the day, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, you could imagine like 150, 200 years ago before Ray Ban and all these cool companies came right. in, right? Um, the glasses were obviously stigmatised, and yeah. now it's now it's on a fashion statement. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. part of your identity yeah. and something you wear with pride. Um, medical devices should be the same. Yeah, there's no reason why it should be skin colour, you know, right, right, and right. horrible and yeah.
0: Uh. Right, right. So, okay, so let's talk about. We'll, we'll go in and talk about the product a little bit and the business behind it. Sure. Can we, can we have? You've
1: brought a set of glasses along today. Yeah. Can
0: we have a look at those? Yeah. Of
1: course. So this is a functioning prototype, although there's a little bit of an issue with it right now. Um,
0: so I have to describe this to the listeners as you're yeah, doing. Yeah, exactly. It, so.
1: Yeah. Okay, so, cool. Unless so. you're watching the YouTube video. but
0: The unboxing. You can hear them unboxing now.
1: Yeah. The
0: so these come, come in like a, a, a box which looks like a mobile phone box or, you know, it's like a, much, some. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks like it's not coming out of the, the national
1: health. No. And it's not clinical. Is it? Right. Yeah, yeah. If we specifically designed it so it's a fashion statement. Right, right. You, you something that you get excited about unboxing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is our first prototype. Sorry, uh, our previous prototype. This right, is not right. the first prototype. Right.
0: I'm gonna put these on. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I'm gonna put these on with the headphones. Let me just try this out. <laughs> and just turn it. So these, these look, these feel like just a normal pair of glasses. Yeah. Okay. That's the deal, right? Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Okay, cool. And, and behind, just so I can explain to the um, to the listeners, what actually we have here was like at the end of the glasses, at the end of the, the tip of the glasses, there's, mm-hmm. I like guess, the conductive
1: technology, isn't it? Yes. So what's going on here? What have we got here at the end? So at the tip of the legs of the glasses, we have inside it, the world's best bone conduction transducer technology that's currently available right. and the company that we're working with um, who developed that is also uh, we're working with so that they can they're using us as a testing platform for their very latest technology Right. so on this design um, we've actually shrunk Yeah. The transducer side. So is
0: this the the one you're handing to me
1: now is the later design? Yeah. Okay. So that represents the other style, but also the latest technology.
0: Right. So here's the thing. And if you were to look at these, they're slightly chunkier than your average sort of like slim design glasses. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, you wouldn't know, would you? You know, that's like yeah. that. That is kind of a well concealed.
1: The the leg, as you say, of the of the glass is well concealed, isn't it? That like, end part. Yeah, exactly. But um, all of this is going to get much, much smaller. So, right. once we move in, t- so that, um, once we get our next investment round,
0: yeah,
1: we are going to develop the electronics so that we can make them very, very small. Right. So we can actually shrink them by at least fifty percent again. So okay. it can all become very thin. Okay, uh, we're going to be working with our battery partner to actually design the custom shape of the battery cell so yeah. that we can slip that in so it can look like the side of a stylish pair of glasses. Yeah, right. And we're not trying to put a square battery into like a sleek design, you know.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, can we talk about the economics of this? Yeah, sure. All right. okay. So, I'm sure all listeners will be fascinated by what's going on here. So, you've
1: got two prototypes here. Mm-hmm. How much does it cost to make one of these? Right now, it costs about 200 and, oh no, uh, for very low quantities, it's about 340 US dollars. Right. To make one and then uh, to make, uh, but that's as the design currently stands. Um, the cost can be reduced, right. but that's when we go into more larger production. So once right. we actually, so when we design for manufacture, we're also trying to manufacture in higher reliability, yeah, but also lowering the cost as well. Right. Okay. Um, so when that happens, the price could be um, sub $240. Yeah. The manufacturing price. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so so
0: that, you said you can sell these for a couple of thousand.
1: Yes. Okay, because if you compare um, like the solutions available right, right. you know surgery getting a screw drilled into your skull right, and then tipping okay. a matchbox onto the side of your head that would right. be $15,000 please yeah. right exactly <laughs> um, but even yeah. the conventional uh, hearing aid yeah would cost what? a good quality digital hearing aid that yeah. has lots of sound processing technology and all these good things in it um, could cost uh, usually at least two to $3,000 right, okay. at least so, so yeah. you're competing against those on price alone right? yeah Okay. To some extent. Right. Forget the
0: forget the branding and the, the, you know, the completely different experience as well, yeah. but it's purely on price, it's comparable. Yeah. Right, so people aren't going to say, well, I can get a hearing aid for 20 bucks.
1: You can, but it may not even be medically certified. Right. It may not be safe for use. Yeah. And you certainly would not have gotten it through your audiologist. Your okay. audiologist would have tuned it specifically for your hearing loss. Right. And uh, if you get it through an audiologist, you do not risk the hearing aid being too powerful and further damaging your hearing. Okay. Because um, there's a problem in the hearing aid market right now is that people just walk into stores and they buy like an off-the-shelf uh, hearing aid huh. or something that's advertised as an amplification device. Right. Ah, okay. And um, they turn the volume all the way up and then they damage their hearing further. Right. So it's really important that, uh, you know, the audiologists provide medically certified devices to patients. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so, so is, this, is this regulated as a device? Does it, it have to be? It will be. So part of our um, next stage that we're going to you know, we're going to use our funding for it is actually to... So that when we uh, continue the design process, mm. we're designing for manufacture, but we're also designing so that it can be medically certified. Right. So we certify in Europe mm. using the basically the uh, Europe's leading, um, I guess you could say partner. Uh, we're going to use TUV, which we we'll recognize as it's a, it's, a, it's a most reputable body mm. for medical device certification. So we're okay. going to use that. Okay. Right. So the cost is actually not too bad. I think we can get it done for like 25 or 30,000 US dollars, which is actually not bad when you consider um, the amount of work and effort that goes into it. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about how you funded this up till now. Yeah. So So, um, um, let's start at the beginning. Is that So your company,
1: Rock Human Devices, is is you and how many other people? Uh, So far just me. Right. So you're the 100% owner? Uh, yes. Apart from a couple of people that have helped me as um, advisors. Like advisors or right, whatever, okay. so uh, but basically I own about ninety or so percent of the right, company right now. Yeah.
0: So ninety percent, ninety plus or minus with a few advisors on board. Yes. And you've
1: how, how have you funded up to now? Because these prototypes aren't cheap, right? So. Yeah, that's right. So we had our seed round oh. in uh, about July or August of last year. Yeah. So we got uh, just over a hundred thousand Singapore dollars in funding. Yeah. So. Excuse me I just burped. <laughs> yeah. Um
0: as raw authentic podcast. yeah so w- yeah. where did the scene round come from was that from somebody you knew was it you know who, who was it? was it investors who have a medical background or
1: um, it was investors that were um interested in uh, in branching into like a medical device type yeah. of thing right. um it was like a friend of a friend of a cousin of a friend type oh, of yeah. thing but individual um, uh, no, they were a group of people. So uh, to yeah, they're happy for me to share. They are zero seven one one or seven eleven ventures, right. and they're based in Stuttgart in Germany, okay. which is the machine building capital gotcha. of the world or yeah. of Germany. Yeah. Um, so uh, they're very happy to invest in hardware. Yeah, yeah. Like if you they understand, yeah. yeah. And if you go to Stuttgart investors and you try to pitch Bitcoin or anything like that to them, they'll be like, "I have no idea, man."
0: <laughs> I've got to see the
1: thing. Right? Yeah. I've got
0: to be able to touch this Yeah, thing, exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay, so um, you, you hand your seed round.
1: Yeah, and um, w- how long ago was that that you got your funding? That was in August. Right. So that was to last us about six to eight months of runway, which we're at the end of now. Yeah. So the purpose of that was to develop a range of prototypes that mm-hmm. work like and look like the uh, what we currently envision the final product to be. Yeah. And test it with our trial users, uh, of which we've now got twenty-five. Right. So those twenty five people have tried this on and are and are giving us feedback and helping us to develop the device because we're yeah. making it for the patients, yeah we're not making
0: so it when you did the the uh, the trial users you had twenty five people what, what yeah. did you, what was sort of the assumptions that were
1: challenged? What did you learn that you maybe didn't know at the beginning? I looked at some statistics of head sizes and head dimensions and all that
0: right.
1: and um yeah. People have very different shaped faces and heads, <laughs> <laughs> um, right? And it and it does vary depending on which part of the world you go. There's certainly like, anatomical differences uh, that need uh, to be right. taken into account okay. depending on where you sell, right. And styles that are available, right? Um, so yeah, there's things like that, right? But um, these these are, I mean even said even like the the the, the prototype model here yeah. these are quite light, aren't they? I mean, how many grams is that? Forty eight grams now. Wow. No, uh, fifty six grams now. The sorry, the old one is fifty. Six grams, the right. new one is going to be 48 grams, and we're going to reduce it even further. Right. Okay. So once we go to lighter, thinner, stronger carbon right. fiber reinforced plastics and stuff like that, yeah. it will be even lighter.
0: Okay. So uh, obviously, the listeners want to know a bit more about your background, but before we get there, is,
1: I guess the question I want to ask you, Stuart, is, is why hasn't this been done already? Some companies have tried to do something along these lines. Yeah. Um, there's a company in Switzerland, or yeah, 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 yeah I think Switzerland. They, um, they, attempted a uh, solution where that you would submit to them for evaluation your own glasses. Okay. And they would uh, test the strength of the frame and to see if the hinges were strong enough and then if it qualified, which it really did, they would cut off the, the back of your glasses and attach on this bone conduction attachment onto the back right, right. and it looked horrendous. Right. I mean, I'll see if I can even show you a photo of it. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so why, why they, yeah. Why were they doing like that? Why? Because medical devices are not good at Style, ah, uh, okay, right. and marketing as well, yeah. as well. Yeah, so to undertake, uh, yeah, yeah, and marketing as well. They're familiar with medical channels. They're right. not familiar right. with fashion. It's functional, isn't it, rather than a lifestyle thing, right? So, yeah, exactly.
0: So, right. uh, okay, I mean that's a, that's the bridge into your background, which I think people are interested in, right? Which is my what so? your background. Oh, my background. So, yeah, so, you know, I mean. You came from that company that made vacuum cleaners, right? Yeah, that's right. And which were functional, right, but much more than that. So tell us a little bit about
1: that. Yeah, so um, my career start, so I started at University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, which is in Scotland, and um, I did electronic engineering. And I studied for six months in Japan as well. We yeah. did the robotics. So I worked on a search and rescue robotics project. And after that, I thought Japan's a pretty cool place. I would quite like to work there. Um, so I moved to Japan as soon as I graduated. Um, even before I got my graduation certificate, I was on a flight over. <laughs> and yeah, they trusted that I would get that for some reason, I don't know why. Because <laughs> um, I'd already been offered a job the year before. Right. So I flew out to Japan to start uh, in the Japanese countryside developing, it was a company called IDX. Hmm. The, we developed uh, machines and equipment that was used in particle accelerators in CERN and in Super KAKB. So, um, yeah, like, you know how the beams go around in a yeah, circle? Yeah, yeah. You, you need very powerful but very accurate electromagnets that steer the beam to keep it going right, around in a circle. Right, right, yeah. So we developed the power supplies uh-huh. that powered those huge coils that got these like, right. like um, these electron beams to turn in a circle.
0: Right, so like the Hadron Collider, right? Yeah. So that's what it was? Yes. What? Right. Okay, so the proper thing. Yeah. But they have so, it in CERN,
1: right? Uh, CERN and also Super KEKB because they've got a part where it turns, it turns in four parts or something like that. No, um, no, I'm yeah. sort of shaking my head thinking, what the hell is that all about? I no. <laughs> oh, can understand what you're saying, but the, 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 the,
0: what is that? Is that a physical problem? Is it an engineering problem or what?
1: Uh, mostly the work that we did that was mostly solving engineering problems because. Yeah. Uh, the like the physicists at CERN would obviously have you know that specification. Like they yeah. understand uh, like electrical flow, and they're like, "Okay, we just need the power supplies to be designed in this way." So please just get it built. So <laughs> it sounds more impressive than it actually is. <laughs> um, That's awesome. How long were you there? I was there for just about a year, right. and I got a bit fed up with Japanese working culture. Yeah, um, doing radio taiso every day and exercise. Yeah, I was told. I, I realised I was in the wrong place when somebody told me um, Stuart just keep your mouth shut until the day you turn 40 years <laughs> old because that's the day that you will know everything and I was like that right really and how old were you then? I was 23 or something <laughs> I was just yeah, yeah like just a puppy in their eyes right um, a long way to go yeah yeah but, yeah but you've got to learn by making mistakes and yeah, it's yeah, something sure. that that culture doesn't really yeah. um, put a lot of pride in yeah yeah which is unfortunate so I left and I thought like I want to Join a startup. I want to do something like that. Um, so I've been following a startup in Singapore called Pirate 3D. Mm. They had designed and launched on Kickstarter and got a huge amount of orders from Kickstarter um, uh, for launching a 3D printer. Mm. And it was supposed to be like ultra consumer friendly. And it really was the product at the end, it was great, but it didn't fit the market. Uh, the market changed during right. the time. It was it quite early? Uh, it was during the hype. Uh, so, you know, that whole hype yeah. curve where it goes up yeah. at the hype and then down at the bottom it was at the hype oh. and then we tried to launch when it went down and there were some Bad business problems yeah, as well yeah. so the company is kind of uh, I don't think it's around anymore uh, and then when I lost my job there because of the funding in the company mm. um, I joined Dyson for two years alright so this, is, I mean,
0: famous for vacuum cleaners amongst ah, things, right? Yeah, but they made so many interesting things. So yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, I guess some some listeners might not know a lot about Dyson. I mean, mm-hmm. they know them maybe for the products and mm-hmm. expensive fans and stuff like yeah. that. So w- what
1: was really Dyson all about? Um, the company is really based around the man James Dyson. Yeah. The company is named after him, but also his entire way of thinking, uh, which has also influenced me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, The entire company is based around his way of thinking, which is design your design your product to be ultra high performance first, and then worry about the aesthetics later. Which is something that is a bit difficult to apply to uh, to my device. What does that mean? What does that mean? Ultra high performance first. So if you look at every if you look at every Dyson product, you can tell that. the, you know you can see the pipes going through it. Like You know the cyclone yeah, part yeah, on the vacuum yeah, yeah. finish. You can see all the pipes. You can see uh, like the flow of the plastic because it was injection molded. You can see all the functional parts of of, mm-hmm. uh, of the machine. Uh, and then after that, they just put some paint on it type of thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so they deal with the aesthetics later, but they have to get it working properly first. Yeah. It's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and people will eventually be bought over by that, right. which they have because Dyson's huge... Yeah, especially
0: in places like interesting, like in Japan as well, which has yeah. a, a very strong hardware culture
1: and very strong hardware base as well. Yeah, and places like Japan, they value things that are very well designed as well. Okay. Uh, that's why out of every ten dollars spent on a vacuum cleaner in Japan, seven of them go to Dyson, apparently. Really, something like that? Oh. Yeah, which is that's insane. Massive. Because you imagine they're competing against you know everybody and everybody in Japan, everybody from Panasonic to Mitsubishi to anybody
0: yeah. who can make electronics.
1: Exactly. Yeah. But um, Dyson focused on core technology oh. and then protected it and then implemented it incredibly well in their, in their products. Right. Uh, and it was great to be part of that and learn mm-hmm. all that. They know how to take something to production as well, which yeah. is something I learned. Yeah. Um, I worked on the the new Wi-Fi range of purifier fans, so the yeah. ones that were like connected to the app. So I worked on that. I worked on some of the Wi-Fi aspects, uh, but mostly I was just working uh, between like the electronics and the Wi-Fi engineers, and also the environment sensors, mm. so things that test humidity, dust levels, um, like dangerous gas levels and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, I worked on that. Um, and I also worked on the supersonic hairdryer, right. which is really cool. So tell
0: us yeah. a little bit about
1: that. Um, I just remember walking in, on my very first day, this is probably 18 months before it was launched, and then I signed all the documents, you know, it's like, you will not disclose this information, right. right? And then I walked in and I saw the prototypes and I was like, oh, that <laughs> is cool, man. <laughs> You're making oh, this... Oh, what, what is, so if somebody hasn't seen a Supersonic what yeah. what
0: what's it all about?
1: So the Dyson Supersonic is a completely different way of designing a hairdryer if you pick it up and look at it it's got a hole through where you would you know like where the air would come out right. it's like, like you turn it on and it's like where is the air coming from like there's no motor there's no fan like what yeah, on the earth is going on
0: I'm going to have to have a quick good feature
1: of this whilst yeah, we're talking yeah, sure, 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 right? sure. yeah, let do this i will to describe it to the
0: listeners you're going to have to google, google <clears throat> this right yeah super so, Supersonic so w- when you joined and you joined that team had they actually launched it yet no Okay, okay.
1: so uh, I joined that team very late on in the development, but I got to, uh, I got to understand exactly what was going. Yeah, that one. Uh, (laughs) This is insane. Yes, amazing, Um, man. Like the amount of money that was spent to develop that was incredible. So, and the engineering that went into it is just off the charts.
0: So, unlike a traditional hairdryer, which has kind of a, a short
1: handle and a long body, it has kind of like a very short body and a long handle, right? Yeah. So the motor's not in the head part. It's actually down in the handle. Right. So they had to develop the motor. So Dyson has gone all the way down to developing at the component level. So rather than buying a motor from China, they design a... In fact, they manufacture the motors here in Singapore. Uh So they manufacture their components in Singapore and uh, assemble the final machines in Malaysia. Right.
0: That's insane. I'm just looking at the price. Yeah. 600 bucks.
1: Yep. Wow. To the the market... The market has shown that it's a very reasonable price to do, (laughs) apparently, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Who's paying 600
1: bucks on a hairdryer? Hundreds of thousands and millions of people, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the sales were off the charts.
0: Right, so (laughs) what what does that do? I mean, okay, aesthetically it looks great, Mm -hmm. and it's a talking point, isn't it? Hey, look at my hairdryer and I've got it. But what, what does it do differently?
1: Well, one of the things that I learned from Dyson when I was developing my own product is literally just... Forget about what already exists. You don't have to stick to the norm, right? right? And find out what the actual problems are. Yeah. Like don't don't accept that problems you know that these problems are the norm and oh. that that's the way life is. Like, no no no, it could be so much better, right? So that's what yeah. Dyson does. Um, well, I've gotten they,
0: they've m- done that with that was the vacuum cleaner and they took away the, the bags. Yeah, the bag which uh-huh. was the pain point, wasn't it? Because yeah, they exactly. were difficult to fit and you yeah. had to keep and back and screeches them back of the creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it cost money, right? You'd spend a yeah. like, hundred bucks on a back vacuum cleaner and thousands mm-hmm. on bags in a yeah. lifetime, right?
1: Yeah. So um yeah, so there's two things here, right? So um what Dyson does is uh, which I've learned from, is that they um, develop core technology mm. that solves very fundamental problems with how people interact with the machines, right? right. Um, and uh, the second thing, which is what you said, um, yeah. is the story of Dyson getting started. Uh, it was like... I think he tried to take his design to like five or six of the manufacturers like Electrolux yeah Yeah, I mean like I mean there's a whole PR story on it somewhere on the internet but um, he tried to take his new invention which we now know is incredible right Mm -hmm. Uh, to Electrolux and all these different companies and they said no this is ridiculous because we can't sell any any additional products and that we can't sell any bags to the consumer now. Wow. So why would we right. forego that? Was it more profitable to sell the bags? And- uh, obviously not, because Dyson is doing much better, right. obviously, right?
0: for <laughs> Electrolux and Hoover and...
1: Well, it was something that they weren't willing to let go of yeah, yeah. because they will have to go to the shareholders and yeah. say, oh, look, we, we want to scrap everything that we have pitched to you previously as yeah. a good thing yeah. and admit we were wrong and go down this whole new route and, and a big public stuffy company. Yeah. It's like so these I these mean, things don't happen.
0: You mentioned something really interesting, Stuart, which I guess you know I want to talk about in the context of your own product is that mm-hmm. that whole thing about you know what is the problem that you're trying to solve, and then you know start with that start you know that that sort of baseline. Mm-hmm. And then work backwards and think about the technology. Why? Why aren't comp- why don't companies do that anyway? Why, why you know that makes sense because you know if you can create a, a Dyson within your own company, mm-hmm. good on you. You know you you just made a, a billion dollar department. Uh-huh. But why aren't companies doing that? Why why don't they start from that starting point and say okay, like this is the problem that the customer has.
1: You know what's the best way of solving it? As. The best way I mean, in my perception, right when you look at large companies, it's very like the amount of effort it takes to communicate with any one person goes off the charts as the company grows bigger, so um uh, how can I describe it? It's like as the team grows, yeah it's very hard to communicate with people that actually make these kind of decisions mm. or people that you could really influence in order for their influence to kind of shine down on the rest of the company. Like, mm. uh, as as a company grows, it's harder to talk to the CEO, whereas you're sitting next to the CEO at a startup. Yeah, There's that reason as well. But there's also this... Um, I think I remember... I think I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast with Jordan Peterson. He... Jordan Peterson, he described something, yeah, because he's a clinical psychologist, and I'm not doing it justice, right? You should really look up. Is uh, he the sleep guy? Himself, but, eh? Is he the sleep guy? No, oh. no, I okay. don't know who you're referring to now. Yeah. <laughs> well, he um, a psychologist talking about sleep, but anyway, go uh, on. He, um, he suggested something that as a company grows, what happens is, is that um, uh, y- you tend to hire B players, rather than the initial A players, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens is is that as your team grows from two amazing A players to a team of 10 people, where half of them are A players and half of them are B players, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What happens is they all get paid the same because that's how HR works, Mm -hmm. right? So everybody gets paid the same, everybody's all equal. The people who are doing really good at their job resent the people who are getting paid the same, even though they're B B players, they turn up to work five minutes late, they they don't put in as much effort, they're not as passionate, they don't care, but they're getting paid exactly the same and they're passing a performance review so everything is absolutely fine. Mm. So what happens is is that the really good people, they build up a lot of resentment and then they just leave. Right. And then what happens is is that they fill the gap with B or C players. Right, So it's that top 1% will leave your company and then all of a sudden, like, I think it's called the Pareto distribution. Right, yeah, Pareto, Something Pareto, like, 80, yeah. 80-20 Yeah, 90 or... well, it's like 5% of... I mean, this is probably not right, but something like 5% of people do 50% of the work. Yeah, and those are the A players who get who feel resentment when the B players come into the company. Oh. And then they leave. So they take 50% of everything that was ever done in the company away with them. So to fill the gap, you just need to have this massive, massive payroll of B players. And then that's how large companies just, you know, like... so awesome technology, people that are aggressive with a passion and what it is they want to build or put out, they think well, I mean there's no place for me to do it in a oh, large yeah, company I'll yeah, just go and do something yeah, else yeah, I'll, I'll go out on my own, join a smaller company, start my own company. Yeah. So that's why you know, I, I think large companies, especially medical devices mm. they kind of hit this like inventive brick wall it get, I mean it gets to a point that um, the what all, the, all that they have is the reason that they existed in the first place. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's and, there's not, and there's not the environment or the people yeah. there to actually take it to the next level or right. to try something new. So um, in
0: your own context, Stuart, you know, when you've been prototyping this, how have you kept, kept it lean in, in the sense that, I mean, it's you, right? Yeah. And you're building these prototypes and yeah. you had all that angel investment, mm-hmm. seed funding. You know, have you consciously with that in mind are you mm-hmm. consciously not going out and recruiting or you're just so busy doing your it, thing what's the story
1: it's not that I'm not recruiting it but I'm, uh, we technically have a, a small team yeah. but um, it's people that I've hired on a project basis or people that have you know like uh, people that have helped me, you know, find bugs in a piece of code in exchange right. for like a couple of jugs of beer. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so because that, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, because of that, that, we actually have quite a big network mm-hmm. of people that are working with us um, right now. Uh, I won't name names yet because we're going to we're going to announce it soon. But we've got some um, pretty industry leading people that are going to join the company. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Those who get the pitch deck will see who they are. Yeah, Yeah. okay, cool. Um, Very, very, very good people that are very interested in joining the company who are actually starting the process of getting them on board. And they they come from big company backgrounds without naming names. Yeah, uh, big company backgrounds, but they get fed up with um, kind of being in a large company and then they want to go and work with startups because... Uh, Is the most effective use of their skills Absolutely. to feel the responsibility yeah. and the commitment of it as well. Yeah. And it's so in that situation,
0: what, what sort of role do you play? I mean, because are you sort of a James Dyson in that setup or are
1: you an engineer, are you the a CEO? Or do you see yourself taking the role long term? I don't know. You don't know? Uh, I don't know if I want to, for example, eventually be the chief engineer and hire a CEO like a few years down the line no. or be the CEO and hire like a CTO later. Yeah. Um, Early I, days. I, yeah. it's early days yeah it is yeah, I mean I'm still trying to work these things out yeah, for yeah, myself yeah. but um, yeah I, I don't think of the product or my company as like my baby like yeah, yeah. I'm fairly objective with it like what needs to be done needs to be done if I should step down from the CEO and be like the chief engineer of the company and like the shareholder and hire a CEO then so be it like whatever makes sense makes sense
0: yeah I mean that's the challenge Uh, isn't it especially for innovators they get to a point where you know they can get it to this stage they're good at
1: starting companies but not running large companies maybe yeah absolutely yeah okay cool so I mean let's talk a little bit about the the funding that you're going for at the moment so yeah We've had your seed funding. What's next? Yeah, so we need uh, nine hundred thousand Singapore dollars, which right. I think works out at six hundred and seventy thousand US dollars. Yeah. So with that amount of money, that gives us fifteen to eighteen months runway.
0: Yeah.
1: We can finish basically finish the development of the device, so we can uh, invest in some injection molding. We can do performance tests. We can try it on uh, on more trial users. Mm we can get medical certification and we can actually start selling uh, like smaller scale manufacturing and selling the device. So it would be good to start a little bit slow because there are going to be problems with the device when we put it out onto the field. Things you can never test in a lab. So if we start a little bit um, slow and careful, and then once we've worked out some of the kinks then by that time we will have some follow on funding mm. hopefully um, mm. in order to scale the production and the sales and the support and warranty and all these, and all these kind of aspects so, really, the money is just to get us to the point where we can manufacture, be medically certified, have a v- ultra reliable, stylish device, mm. and um, be selling.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when you think about rock human devices and what this could be in the future, mm-hmm. you know, you go through this round of funding 15 to 18 months, I think you said, mm-hmm. you know, of, of getting the product ready, certified, out there, yeah. selling it. Mm-hmm. What then happens is, is that you know. Do you, do you have an idea of what the value of that is to another company, or is it a, a company? Can it become a Dyson of the medical device world? Can it become the Apple of the medical device world? Can it become? Would it become a trade sale or an IPO or what? Do you have
1: an idea? It could. Um, I, I mean, I know that every startup should technically have an exit strategy, mm-hmm. but um, right now I'm still working on that. Yeah. Um, because it really depends on where the company goes and yeah. the environment. Um, I think in medical device world, probably uh, another company may buy out a medical device startup. Mm. These are the kind of the things that I, I see happening. Although I don't know, I, I, I'm focusing on a product now. I'm not really focused on an exit strategy, but it's yeah.
0: That's good to hear, but I'm wondering if there's a sort of a precedent in that market. Is there, you know, or, or in another market, do you look, for example, I mean, we talked about Dyson or do you see, you know, some people oh, say see. The, the Apple of we, the medical, we, the medical we, device world or the Lego of the medical yeah. device world or whatever. I mean, it, is there a precedent?
1: Be, yeah, yeah, we absolutely could be because I mean, we've been talking a little bit hearing loss, but this is only, this is only the start. Right. What else? Um, well, to give you a clue um, I've already said this on radio so it's okay so once we launch and once we get the manufacturing sorted and once we kind of start on generation 2 of the device and we kind of get our wind back right. uh, from it uh, and once our team is all kind of established we're going to start working on some uh, new technologies so, so basically the hardware like we will eventually be a software company mm. that has the hardware that the software runs on so what we would actually develop is the software to make the hardware so much better because right. the two need to work together. Yeah. So to give you an idea, the thing I want you know that we want to be working on next is, um, imagine if you have your leg amputated, so you would go for a prosthetic leg, yeah. and you can get one for like very expensive. It's all computerised. Um, it's got its uh, walking gait. Mm-hmm. You know, like its movement, all kind of programmed in it from the lab. Um, and you can start to walk again and it's like a miracle for many, many people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can always tell when somebody's got a prosthetic leg and if they're walking down the street, you think like, well, there's something funny, but oh, okay, maybe they have a prosthetic leg. Ah, right, okay, got it, got it. Yeah. There's something unnatural about the movement. Yeah. So, um, so far, nobody has combined uh, machine learning with uh, prosthetic limbs. Right. So we envision... A prosthetic leg that can learn from the residual leg how it is that you, as a person, walk, right. and it can mimic the gait in different situations, so that over a few days your prosthetic leg basically behaves the same way as your residual leg, the way that you used to walk before. Right. That's interesting. That so something along the ground huh? Your robotics background. Yeah, exactly. So
0: it'd be like um, you know the Atlas from Boston Dynamics I mean you, you've seen yeah. those ones. like the gait that they have is insanely good yeah. it's insanely realistic yeah.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if they've done like I, I mean surely they would have done a lot of machine learning to get yeah. the robot to learn how to walk itself yeah right.
0: but, but the interesting thing if you look at somebody like them is that they, they have all the they have all the talent and the, the knowledge in a place like Boston Dynamics yeah and, but they're not sort of focused on real people and real problems so much are they like we talk about you know somebody who's got a a prosthetic leg, or something with hearing loss, for example. They are yeah. focused on very much academic solutions, yeah. and it could yeah, be picked so up by military, and it could yeah. be picked up by sort of very sort of cutting edge, uh-huh. out there
1: companies. Yeah, but people eventually, the, the technology could be used right in a ways that in a way that you couldn't have predicted. Um, uh, it would be, yeah, it would be good to for the company to get to that stage where we can yeah. be profitable and we can put a lot of money towards R&D yeah. and almost have like a little cordoned off section where it's like we we're going to work on some really cool stuff that we, we don't really know the direction of where we're going, but oh, yeah. um, stuff that we can That uh, is understand tr- be very, very interesting.
0: Well, I swear, I mean, you know, if you have a background a pedigree in medical devices, Mm -hmm. a lot lot of that is like relationships, know-how, how how to submit the application to know, know, certified, speak to the right doctors, and therefore you have that sort of channel, don't you, into the medical community and officialdom, if you like. So therefore, you know, to plug in a new device would be interesting, because for a lot of startups, that, that alone can be a lot of time and a lot of resources. But if you had that you know, then to plug in the fact that, you know, prosthetics and machine learning and mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know, machine learning startup can't go and do
1: this because they don't have Yeah, because the like, where do you begin? Right, exactly. Yeah, Who do like, I like, speak to? Yeah, yeah, so but where do you begin with the robotics and the hardware and how do you combine yeah, yeah. hardware and software? Yeah, like, you can develop software awesome on its own, you right. can develop hardware on its own, but anybody that works in a company like the companies I've worked in, it's when the two come together, it's like a car crash. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so knowing how, how to develop. It as one thing, yeah, rather than two separate things, uh, which Dyson is quite good at as well. Apple's great at it as well. Yeah, um, are, is something that's yeah can really allow us to do what we do.
0: So, listen, Stuart. I mean, this has been really interesting pitch. If I can
1: uh, yeah. say that, I mean, this is like this is how a pitch should be done, really, isn't it? This yeah, is I like think so. Real, you know, and yeah, so
0: I don't like the elevator pitch idea. No, it's, well, it's fake. I, I always wonder, Dave. You put the Google boys on the stage and they did a pitch back in the day I think it would be bloody awful I think yeah. they really fluff it yeah.
1: You know, they go, yeah I mean if you go online and look at the, the very first Airbnb pitch deck it's, right. yeah, it, yeah it wasn't pretty <laughs> well,
0: there you go. It's, it's not the right it's not the right sort of format or no. bandwidth to really get into the, the story as well and yours has come out as well because we understand a little bit more about where you've come from your why mm-hmm. you know your sort of approach and your way of thinking which I think is really important
1: for investors as well yeah. and
0: I think as well we're not just sort of talking to investors as founders out there
1: being inspired yeah. by what you're doing and well yeah i mean it's like if anybody wants to h- help or yeah. even just wants to reach out to me in some kind of collaboration then yeah this would, is, what would be good what were you kind of looking for of, sort of- um somebody to develop like um you know like, uh, ux for apps and somebody that can design ios android somebody that can uh Electronics, but also got a good grasp of firmware, so that you can at least manage that aspect. Um, We've already got acoustics expertise. We've got marketing expertise. Um, Yeah, like I'm trying to kind of fill in the major gaps of the team. Yeah, Um,
0: yeah. Do they have to have a medical background?
1: No, right? No, nobody. Yeah, you don't need to have a medical background. Um, You're designing a product with a specific reason for being. Doctors don't develop medical devices, it's engineers. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Stuart Kerr, everybody.
0: Rock Human Devices. We'll put all your details in the show notes. I wish you all the best with your raise. And if anybody's listening as well, they can make contact with you as well. Because, you know, even if you're in a raise, A, it's an endless process almost. And it's an ongoing process. It feels endless, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's ongoing. So it never stops. So you always want to be talking to partners and investors. Yeah. Like you say, even people as well. I mean, I think the important thing is, people recruitment as well is gonna be your ongoing challenge,
1: isn't it? So that's yeah, because building credibility not I mean the investment is just a tool, right? So it's almost like you need to screw screws into a wall and you don't have a screwdriver. So the money is just to help you get the job done. Mm-hmm. Um also we need to build credibility so that the best people want to work for us mm-hmm. as well. And we're starting to do that. Um but yeah, we need money to function.
0: So Good. Well, this is what it was all about today. And Stuart, thank you so much for being. Thanks so very much. You the prototype, I should say, from your world. <laughs> prototype of uh, the pitch. We'll put all the details in the show notes. If you want to make contact with Stuart, we'll put all the details, how to reach out to him on LinkedIn, et cetera. And, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, for the pitch as well, I don't know there's a part two in future, an update, but... Sure, you know.
1: Yeah. It yeah, because be I can talk rest. about my experience with everything. It could help future founders. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know what I'd
0: like as well? I mean, you know, just sort of freestyling here, but when you're successful with this company, mm-hmm. when you, i am not if, when, because I believe in you, when you go through that, that, that sort of curve, it's never gonna be easy, never gonna be a straight line.
1: No, it's not, it's totally up and down.
0: Absolutely. So you've prepared yourself for that, you've got the yeah. experience, but they're gonna be young founders coming through as well, developing products. Yeah. I'd like you to be one of those guys we talked about at the pitch round table in future yeah. and sure. advise them. How about that? Should should things
1: go well, I would love to yeah. oh, <laughs> things <That's laughs> if things wave. don't go well. I mean like Exactly. If, if I mean if the company goes crashing to the ground, uh, at least I tried my absolute best. I put my heart and soul into it. Yeah. But um, you can also learn from that, pick yourself back up, and be the most successful person on planet Earth if you choose to do so. Um, you've not failed just because your company failed one time, you know? Absolutely. Stuart, thank you so much. Thanks very much. It was a pleasure.
0: You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP.show.